Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? I have a really exciting guest for you today. It's a bit different than the conversations we're used to hearing on this show, but I just want to say that conversations like this can't happen unless you support Indefensive Plants. There are a lot of great ways to do that, and one of the best is to pick up some merch over at our merch store. All of our merch is customizable, and they feature some really cool vintage prints. Just head on over to indefensiveplants.com and click on apparel at the top or navigate to the show notes for whatever episode you're listening to and find our merch store there. But today we are joined by Tim Stonecipher, who has an IT background, but the way he's been able to get involved in paleobotany is really cool, and it involves a plant we talked about in the previous episode, Sanfordia collis, the weird toilet brush tree from the Carboniferous. And Tim collaborated with the paleobotanists to bring this tree to life, at least in a digital sense. And the process of doing that is iterative, but really interesting. And it just goes to show you how you never know what ways you can get involved in scientific discoveries like this. I don't want to steal any of Tim's thunder because his thought process and his insights into resurrecting an extinct tree are fascinating. So let's just jump right into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tim Stonecipher. I hope you enjoy. All right, Tim Stonecipher, welcome to the podcast. This is a really unique conversation to be having today. I'm really excited to pick your brain, but first, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Sure, thanks. Uh, appreciate being on and getting invited. Um, yeah, so my name's Tim Stonecipher. I currently work at Colby College in Waterville, Maine. Uh, I work in the Instructional Technology Division, so specifically in Academic Technologies. So in my role, I do a lot with um, working with technology and trying to help faculty and students to uh, figure out how to incorporate it uh, better into the classroom, into their research. Um, I often tell students, you know, with projects that they get assigned, the technology should not be the hurdle for, yeah. for your assignment. Like your goal is to learn whatever the class is about. And technology is just a neat tool to kind of help facilitate and guide part of that um, as a way to express what you've learned um, in an assignment. Um, so I, I do a lot with that, um, a lot of kind of neat areas of technology. So uh, video production was kind of what brought me here to Colby. That's my background. Um, I've been here about eight, nine years now. Uh, so I do a lot with uh, video workshops, audio workshops, podcasts, um, things like that, helping students learn how to edit. Um, I also manage a makerspace that we have on campus. Nice. Uh, we've got a great, great team there. Um, I've taken a little bit more of a, a different level um, of approach, but we've got a new uh, team member there who she's, uh, Cal is directly managing that lab now. But um, yeah, so makerspace with 3D printing, uh, laser cutting, uh, virtual reality, and also a fair bit with drones as well. Cool. Uh, so doing drones for uh, capturing, mapping, um, video as well. So whole, whole spectrum and gamut. So that's kind of a bit of where I sit here at Colby right now. Nice. I, I like the idea of kind of starting in video and then branching out into untold because, you know, that's technology, right? And it's only getting more connected, more versatile nowadays. And I'd imagine that uh, any given week, 
month, a year, you're, you're facing a whole new suite of things you got to learn, get to be creative with, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's really fun how there's like, there's always new technology that's on the horizon. You know, the, um, the Apple vision pro just came out for augmented reality. And so we're kind of starting to explore that, um, to see what's out there. So it's a neat way to stay on top of what's going on with technology. And I, a lot of the IT folks who I talk to seem to have taken a circuitous route uh, to get here. You know, yeah. I, I'm not an outlier, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but look at all the cool ways you get to apply it and the cool projects you get to be involved with, which is actually how we connected today. And that, to me, is the most fascinating aspect because I think it not only enhances the classroom, but goes beyond that. You're enhancing folks lives like me. You help with the learning process. And the reason we connected is because a, a guest we recently had on, Dr. Bob Gastaldo, and you have worked together, it sounds like on a couple projects, but the most recent one is reconstructing a tree that no longer exists. Yes. <laughs> it was quite a project to be on. Um, it was a new experience for me, uh, for sure, to be involved in, in research at this level. Uh, so Bob came to me... Um, Gosh, I feel like it was in the early days of the pandemic because um, I remember working from home and doing work on this um, <laughs> in like 2020. Oh, boy. Um, and and so he he came to me. He'd done uh, other projects before. And so Bob knew the kind of stuff that I did. He knew I was involved in 3D printing. And he came to me. He said, we've got this really unique plant uh, and we want to 3D print it. Like that, they knew that there was this component of needing to visualize it because it was unique um, and being able to represent it visually. So mm. 3D printing was first on the table. Mm. But the more that we talked about it, I mean, on on one level, that does need to get designed and modeled, right? right? Like we can't just 3D print something uh, from scratch. I mean, we could, you know, shape and model something with our hands. But, um, but we started to realize a, a big component of what was unique about this was, uh, remember a question that came up a couple of times was, how did this thing even stand up? Um, just with how it's structured. Um, and uh, so I was, with that question in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how is a 3D printer going to keep this uh, standing up too? Um, it, it would have been a very unique challenge uh, for a 3D printer. But the more we started talking about it, we realized, okay, this does need a model. Like we have to design and model this somehow and um, with, with some software. Um, and then from there, create a visualization for this that can get published. Right. Right. And to me, you know, I love paleobotany, but purely from like an outsider looking in perspective, um, you know, I try to stay a little bit familiar with the literature, but it is, it's a different world, especially when you start getting into like what it takes and what the, the outputs usually are. And unfortunately, so many outputs just stay in that academic paper. You maybe get a drawing of the actual fossil. If you're lucky, someone artistically lends some hands there, but y'all have really taken the next step with this. And so, you know, with your IT background coming in with video editing, um, you know, did you have any connection to like <laughs> plant structures, anything like that? <laughs> like this had to be kind of a, a truly a new horizon when he approached you, even at the earliest days with this. Yeah, it, no, this was totally new. Um, and I am not a biologist. I'm not a botanist. Um, you know, if, if I touch a plant, it usually dies. No, like no. I'm, it's just, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, so this was a new world for me, um, in, in getting to learn how this, how the plants were structured and, mm -hmm. and all that. Um, and it was a lot of back and forth that we had. So, um, 
This is what I find often too with with integrating IT with um, different different areas of of academia um, and people's research is I find it, there's there's a certain level where I need to understand what's happening a little bit better for for any kind of project that I'm working on. Right. I find people are always so patient in trying to <laughs> teach. It's it's like it's like the teacher comes out and it's like, oh, here's this other person who wants to learn what I'm doing. Right. Um, so spent a lot of time and patience with like um, or the team was very patient with me and the questions that I asked in terms of trying to figure out like, well, how is this structured? Okay, can we go again for the 18th time? Like how the leaves are patterned, like going around the trunk. Okay, I called the it's not called a trunk. It's called something else or these aren't branches, they're leaves. Um, lots of lots of that throughout the process. Um, but I learned a ton. Um, and that collaboration, I think, really uh, came forth in like what what we developed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it looks so, really neat too. <laughs> thanks. It was um, so it, it was so it was a new application uh, of this certain software that I use. So I, my background's in video. Um, so I've done a lot with three uh, D um, modeling in some areas. Um, and so there's a, a tool that's out there called Blender. It's open source. Um, it's it's very powerful. I had dabbled in it, oh gosh, probably like 20, 25 years ago, but it wasn't really fully developed by then. Um, about 10, 15 years ago, I was using it at my previous job doing some character animations. Oh, cool. So I was already very familiar uh, with the tool, um, knowing how to model, things like that. It's So to, to give your listeners um, some context, it's a, a software that allows you to uh, develop three-dimensional shapes. So it's using what's called mesh-based modeling. Mm -hmm. So kind of think of like take a piece of clay um, that you put on the table and you can have that clay take shape in like different primitives, we call them. So cylinder, um, a sphere, cone, um, <laughs> you name it. And we can push and pull and stretch and shape these things in different ways. Um, we're just doing that on a computer hmm. um, through Blender. So um, we take and pull vertices and it stretches uh, the plant out. We start with the trunk um, and then, it, yeah, I can get into all the details, but that's that's kind of roughly what what's going on with the software. I love that idea of sort of a clean slate. You, you get a chunk of digital clay, so to speak, and then it's this iterative process. And that's, I guess, where I'm most curious right now, because I've read the paper and seen the the photographs of this fossil. And, you know, shout out to Dr. Gastaldo and his colleagues for being able to look at a fossil and know, OK, well, this would have been like this. This would have been like that. So wh what yeah. were your initial thoughts as, you know, the artistic side of this endeavor when you had to have seen some of the fossils first, and you're going, I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at half the time. Oh, oh my gosh, there are so many times that um, it was it was kind of fun. They they I'd say, hey, I, I really need to understand how this how this works or what it looks like. They send me the raw image of of the fossil, and I'm thinking, I I can't do anything. Gosh, I, what I, is I, I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's something here, um, but uh, the the team had done a lot with creating um, just two-dimensional drawings and representations of this, um, mm. coming up with uh, the dimensions and all of that. Um, and one of the big questions, too, that came up was what what the pattern of the leaf distribution was. Like, so right. at one point, we were 
gosh, was that an 11-2 uh, rotation? I, I forget the technical terms of where we're at now. Um, <laughs> but there was a lot of that. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, how are you able to see this from the yeah. from the fossil? Um, it, it was remarkable to me. And then there was this other aspect of it, too, that was like um, talking about the, the shape of the cross sections of the leaves that they had. It was like having to consider that, OK, well, this was compressed. So what what we're seeing now was compressed in the fossil record, you know. Yeah. So, so it, it it morphs it um, a bit, um, and so kind of that the team extrapolated that and figured out like what what this would look like. And one of those discussions too early on was um, for the paper: do we want to represent this visually the way with the exact data that we have, um, or do we want it to, or do we want to kind of create more of a creative image of what we think this could have looked like. Um, and right. so the paper saw um, just what we had in the fossil record. Um, so you'll see truncated leaves um, um, and, and all of that. It just looks a lot different than what you might have seen in, in some of the other publications. And that was um, for the wider audience. That was more of a, a creative sure. rendering. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So before we get into the decision making process on that side, because I think that is an important thing to talk about uh, is just, you know, you're working with extinct organisms. There is some licensing there, creatively, uh, creatively speaking. But, you know, working with scientists that probably I'm going to guess have no experience with Blender or your world of things like there's a point where their expertise stops and yours begins. And that line can probably sometimes be pretty stark. So how was the communication process uh, throughout all of this? I mean, it's got to be, like we said, iterative, but, mm -hmm. you know, I love these sort of interdisciplinary combinations where different strengths really come together to make a better whole for everyone, um, but they don't always come naturally or easily for a lot of folks. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. So the iterative is definitely the key word there. Um, lots of back and forth. So I would meet with um, one or two local folks on the team. So Ian um, or Bob, um, Ian Glasspool, Bob Gastaldo, and talk to them about, we'd kind of hash through, we'd take the whiteboard, we'd um, start to draw and sketch what how we envisioned this. Um, I would take it back and create some Blender renderings um, based on how I understood the conversation to go. <laughs> and then we'd have a little bit more back and forth from there. Um, and, and some of it was like, okay, I, I heard the technical aspects of them trying to translate it creatively. And then I want to make sure that that creative representation is to the best of my ability, um, reflective of what, what we have in the fossil. Um, so yeah, um, there was, yeah, lots of back and forth. And yeah, I lost my train of thought, but no, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that like, you kind of probably come out on the other end and you're going like, wow, what just happened? We have something that's now being shared widely. I mean, I've seen this, the imagery that you've created together, um, really reach a, an audience that paleobotany stuff really doesn't, but it is interesting that to me, the domain of sort of paleobotany fossils in general seems to be paper, you know, 2D drawings. Um, but Blender seems 
kind of be making an appearance more and more these days, especially as, like you said, 3D scanning is becoming more available, especially the 3D printing world is becoming more available. So I'm curious what your conceptions are in terms of like your background on the artistic side of things and how it relates to botany uh, and paleobotany specifically. Was this kind of a no brainer or was it like, oh, yeah, I guess we could use it for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, we we could use it for that. This this works. And it was interesting um, too, like it going through and then having some conversations about what the software is and how it works. And um you know, ex- explain it's like it's it's not a tool that's just for the domain of of biology or reconstructing uh trees or plants you know it's people use the software for uh character modeling or like the stuff that you might see in pixar movies right. or, or all that like people do some really cool stuff with us people do um like comic book style uh graphics w- with wow. this so it, it it encompasses a whole a, a huge range of um applications and things that it can represent so it it, it made sense that it could work in this context as well um and it was it was fun to explore that aspect of it so i I like I said, I don't have any background with trees, but like I found myself noting like, okay, look at looking at these house plants to see like <laughs> how are these constructed and shaped? Like, what does the curve look like? And can I try to incorporate that into this um just to have some better understanding of how this works to to start um to start the process. Um yeah, and it was it was really fun too to see the team. Um how they received the images when they mm, came through. And yeah. it was a lot of like, oh my gosh, this is really amazing to see this thing <laughs> um, that we only see as a fossil. Um, but we've got some more tweaks to make, but this is really cool to see what this could have looked like. Um, and so one of the one of the interesting pieces that was from taking it from um, like the actual record and there's like this, very mathematical component that we have of like, well, okay, there's, it's, it's this many meters high. It's this many meters. uh, Each leaf is this many meters long. Um, And we have at the time we were looking at like 11, two or 13, two pattern of of going up. And so how this ascends, how many, um, how many leaves are in a certain vertical section. Um, So very mathematical. And then I, and so I was using that, those numbers to kind of build this out. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I looked at it, it was, it was uh, too uniform. You know, it was, it was (laughs) this, because if you you think if you're going off of a mathematical algorithm that has no randomness to it at all, um, it it looks mathematically perfect and it doesn't look like a real world thing. So there was this other aspect of it where in that creative element um needing to introduce some randomness to it like some hmm. randomness to the bend and the angle of the leaves um didn't get into that wasn't able to get into the randomness of the length at all for the the final creative uh, aspect of it but in terms of the um angles of how they were coming off just only slight variation so you know with plus or minus five degrees right um so very small but enough to help it to feel like okay this is actually a, a natural looking plant um yeah right right because so often you know you'll see these headlines that come out and you know i'm not a mathematician but we found out an equation that describes this or here's the 
the mathematics of how decision making in these animals happens. And it's like we have been able to describe it using math, but that doesn't mean that it's bound so strictly by those rules. In biology, as you said, there's randomness, you know, something that would have grown static in the ground stationary for untold years is going to have stochastic events acting on it, which will change its overall appearance. And that, to me, is a part of the process I never even thought about is, okay, we know that it's this arrangement of leaves. You know, you can do so much, but at some point, calculations are the domain of the computer. (laughs) Yeah, We're not going to pretend we can do them in the back of our heads. So there's got to be this element of, like you said, you feed it in and you go, let's see what happens. And then uh, that doesn't look natural enough, but that's got to be those moments of you're all discovering something together in that process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and for me, it was this interesting moment of like, wondering, like, almost like asking permission, is it okay to, to, to vary this a little (laughs) bit? Like I, cause I wanted to represent this as well as I could, but I also felt very much like the outsider in some ways, like this was not my domain of study at at all. Um, So I felt like this, you know, the kid in the back corner asking questions, but um, it was the right move. Yeah, yeah. But it still speaks to something deeper, like this instinct we have for what biology should look like. And I don't know if this qualifies as sort of the uncanny valley because it's a plant, not a human. Um, But we do like whether you realize it or not, whether you think you have a green thumb or work with plants or don't at all you see them, right? You go outside, you see a Christmas tree and you know, it's not that traditional shape we all draw as kids. There's differences there. And you had enough of an instinct of like, I'm a person in this world. I see nature enough to incorporate. There's got to be something slightly off in order for it to feel right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Yeah. That's a good, um, yeah, it's probably something in that, that, that you said there, probably something good about a little bit of uh, imperfections. <laughs> and so Although this isn't a philosophy. Sure. Guess, yeah. And so. I was going to say that's probably for some <laughs> other specialty to get involved here. But that's, again, the point I try to make all the time is you are living proof that you don't need to have a strict background in paleobotany or botany mm-hmm. in general to get involved in these processes. And even the way we think about how we respond to digital images of reconstructions can have a place, you know, if maybe that's psychology is someone's background you mm-hmm. can you can mm-hmm. have these questions and get involved in projects like this in ways i can't even think about uh given a lifetime of thinking about it but i've i've really enjoyed you know in the work that i do here with the students it's really fun seeing the interdisciplinary nature of it like seeing different students from different backgrounds come together and working on projects um I feel like it creates something richer. People yeah. are coming from with different perspectives um, and ideas, and it creates a fuller, um, more beautiful end result. Yeah. And so with that, you start thinking about what we hinted at earlier is this creative license is you're trying to reconstruct something that doesn't exist anymore. And the best approximation we have for it is what is preserved in that fossil record, which even though this was you know an incredible set of fossils, not necessarily preserving every minutia in perfect detail. And so there had to become a point where you guys had to go, okay, we just got to go with this route. Like you said, sometimes the most mathematical perfection yeah. isn't going to work. Or at the end of the day, um, I, I love that email that uh, Bob had sent me. It was just like, if we'd done it perfectly, I could have just asked my granddaughter to draw a lollipop <laughs> tree and called it good. So talk me through some of the... Like, you want it to be accurate, right? And and yeah. the paper gets one version of accuracy. What you communicate to the public gets a slightly, you know, maybe more nuanced yep. version of that. 
where where do you as an artist have to be kind of careful um where you know you're you're making some jumps but they're not jumps that are going to ruin the the scientific accuracy yeah, yeah. so there's for for me individually as an artist, like I, in something like this, I would lean more on my math side to say, okay, okay <laughs> I want, so at one point I was asking, can we get, um, can we get um, the, the, the cross sections of, of the leaf at certain intervals? Mm. Um, and I think that that, I don't think we were able to do that. Sure. I, I'd ask Bob and Ian about that. I, I don't think it was practical. Um but really just had to lean on, okay, well, then if we can't, if we can't get these, then you guys tell me what the shape should be. And so we had a lot of these back and forths of like, okay, at the be at closer to the stem, the, the trunk of this, it has more of a card cardioid pattern. Um, and as it extends out, you know, numbers aren't exact, but maybe about three quarters of the, of the way out, it starts to flatten off. Um, and I did my best to to visualize that represent it um i'd share that back with them and they'd say you know what this is too much or too little of a cardioid shape it's too wide in this area and so we'd have that back and forth and then i could it was really nice to have a couple of experts who i could lean on <laughs> yeah and say okay you guys tell me what this should look like um and then we'll we'll kind of um keep keep going through until we're all all happy with it um so that was one one area of that that was kind of interesting in terms of trying to balance that um that creative side that's still representative of the fossil and yeah fascinating yeah and it's it's amazing because this is such a weird species i mean it is it's when 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 they call it a toilet brush tree jokingly they're not that far (laughs) off right and yeah. when you look at the renders, uh, the videos, the the imagery, it's busy, but it kind of has to be busy. But I, I would imagine there was a point where it could get too busy in terms of the amount of detail that was going on in something that looks just so outlandish. Yeah. So so we <laughs> give you some behind the scenes and, and throw the curtain back a little bit. <laughs> um, but we had when we were working on the project, we we had initially just been focusing on the the primary leaf that's coming off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I walked you through that process a little bit in my last answer. Um, and that's no small thing to go back and forth. And then, so what I would do is, is model one leaf, um, make sure that looks good. And then um, go through a process um takes a, a, a fair amount of time to extend that out to the 80 other leaves that it was at that point. Now I think we're up to close to 300 um, and, and to extend that out to the rest of the, the tree. Um, but then, so we go through all that. And then at one point we realized somebody brought up, Hey, we didn't get the secondaries. Oh no. <laughs> it's like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm hanging my head right now. So, and that was a whole other level of, okay, we've got to go way back several steps. Um, and that was an, a whole other uh, process of trying to get these secondaries modeled correctly. Um, and then again, like you get one, one leaf is kind of the model that gets copied and brought around 80 times um, up that spiral. <laughs> um, and And then we started 
I think we were, I think we had uh, confirmed that we were getting published at that point. There was some discussion with press and there was like, well, okay, well, do we want to include the tertiary? No, no, we are not. <laughs> we can't, we can't include the tertiaries here. It's going to look too, too full. Um, and even then there are like certain aspects of this for me as an artist. I'm like, I, I still want to keep doing work on this. Like right, there's right. Um, like, so, so I've talked about the modeling aspect of this, but there's also the texturing of it. So what color mm. and what color does it have? What pattern does it have? So, you know, we were, was able to apply like kind of a, a palm type image um, to the trunk of the tree. And um, we colorized um, certain sections. There was a little bit of back and forth with um, the green, what color green we should have for the, the leaves. <laughs> and normally like as, as an artist, I normally haven't had good experiences of creating and designed by committee, but here it was so nice to be able to lean back on people for ah, whom this is their, yeah. this is their expert field. Sure. Um, and to have, have some of that good discussion that came out of that. But even then there's, there's also, um, so there's coloring it, but there's also um, like shading, like, like what, what it looks like. So it's not just the flat color, but it's also, is this reflective? Is it a little ah, bit translucent? Wow. Is it, does it have like, certain color undertones. So, and that's an aspect that I wish I could have had time to get into um, and had the expertise to get into. That's um, sure. that's definitely getting a little pushing uh, my limits as, as in terms of what I know for the software, but um, lots of ways to explore it more. Yeah. And, you know, even at the base level, the, the degree to which you were able to explore, I never even would have thought of like, how do we pick the right green here? Was it just kind of throwing out swatches of plants that kind of represent that group that was dominant during the Carboniferous? I mean, what was the early process, you know, knowing you didn't have the luxury of going all in? Sure. Well, no, that, so that, I mean, that was one of the later last things that we got changed. Um, and it was, it was Pat um, on our team and she was saying, well, certain plants of this categories, we know them would have like this darker green color, um, like with yellow undertones, I think hmm. she'd said. So we, we, we kind of hoed it and tweaked it a little bit. Um, in that way. So it is this process of looking at modern day examples and then kind of going back in time and saying, okay, this is the best approximation we have. That as an outsider, that was my impression of it. Cool. Kind of, of like this, this style class of plant. Um, yeah. And so, you know, more philosophical backing out for your perspective on this, you know, how has your relationship with this kind of material changed? Because again, you're coming in with a vastly different background. You're applying these tools in new ways to help paleobotanists do what they're doing. But you have to, like, when you think of Sanfordia Collis, you have a, a piece of its history now. You know, you've gone back in time, literally <laughs> trying to reconstruct yeah. an extinct organism. Like, how's your relationship with Sanfordia Collis and the Carboniferous developed over this time period? It's It's been really good. Like, I, um, yeah, uh, boy, where do I even start? Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's as as time progressed, you know, getting more and more deeply connected with it um, has has been good. You know, the first couple of weeks it was starting. OK, well, here's this new little side project that I can do to keep myself busy while the pandemic's happening. Um, and then now it's like I, I'm really proud of the work that we did and how it's um, out there, how the the public is um 
picking it up. Like I was, yeah. I was shocked to see. Okay, here we are on these different media outlets that, like, <laughs> I read. <laughs> but but hey, it's, and it was, it was neat on the scientific level too. Like I, I told you, I'm not, I'm not a plant person, but it's really neat. I, I, I feel really proud of that work to feel like I'm, I've been a part of that process. Yeah. Um, and I, I've learned so much. Like I've, I'm looking at plants now in a different way. Um, paying more attention to these details. And I, I'm like, oh, you know what? I could actually, I could actually start enjoying plants now, I think. <laughs> I, I don't say that to this. No, I get it. I get all, it. But it's, um, it's, it's not my natural, um, my, my natural background. And I've, I've really enjoyed getting to, to learn that and having a great team, um, to kind of teach, teach that along the way has yeah. been, uh, amazing. I love that sort of like new doors were open. You didn't know we're there. And now the perspective has shifted ever so slightly, but I'm sure you're noticing architecture and plants a little bit more. And that's to me, one of the most fascinating things is like I said, you can be this interdisciplinary and have those curiosities, but until you get that sort of click, then you don't know yeah. it's there, but now, now you do know, <laughs> and who knows what's on yeah. the horizon for it. Well, and even like some of the discussions that came out, you know, as talking to my uh my parents and my dad i think he said well it looks like a palm tree like, well no but it's it's not there's all this other stuff so <laughs> this, yeah better sense now of like what's what's going on and, sure um, yeah it's pretty pretty fun and speaking to the 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 breadth of attention that this has received, I mean, congrats to you and the team on on doing it the right way and getting into the public conscience in a way that like again, plants don't generally do, especially not long extinct ones. I think Bob hmm. said it best, like everyone loves dinosaurs, but how could you ever imagine that this would get the attention it would based on previous responses to paleobotanical outlets? But here's a situation where you have had a hand in helping people visualize something that doesn't exist anymore and is, as far as we currently understand, unique in the fossil record, structurally at mm -hmm. least. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so w my hope is that when people see what you have contributed, especially um, to the imagery, and you know that's to me always the best thing was when you see this this report on some new fossil discovery. Oh, good, there's a reconstruction, and with yours, it's like <laughs> oh, good, there's a 3D reconstruction to really help. I hope it really starts to put tools like Blender and talents such as yours more in the limelight for hey, let's make this better for everyone because. When people can actually relate to something on a deeper level, the attention span goes up. It's not that people are apathetic or yeah. antagonistic. It's they just don't know. Right. And I'm yeah, like I'm I'm such a visual person. I I do so much better in those articles when, you know, there's <laughs> there's some uh picture to go with it to to conceptualize what's what's happening. You know, the um well crafted story goes really far. Yeah. Um but if yeah, having a picture to go with it, I think can um can just help people to see and understand more of what's what's going on. Totally. Yeah. So Tim, I mean, where do you see this going? I mean, do you want to get involved more with a variety of scientific inputs, or, or is it just kind of like whatever the wind blows your way? You've got the tools, and you'll get creative with it. <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, going where the wind takes me has served me pretty well nice. up to this point, um, and I'll enjoy seeing what um, what partnerships emerge and um, what's next. We have a, a great team of faculty here at the college. Um, I enjoy a lot of those partnerships. 
Um, and we've had some really neat projects come out of of those discussions. Um, this is the first one that's kind of developed into published research. Nice. Um, and so I'm I'm curious to see what comes next and where it goes. I I really do enjoy the aspect of the work that I do of getting to learn all of these different um, different aspects of of our world and the science behind them. Awesome. Well, for those listening that are curious to learn more about your background or what you and your team do or you and your collaborators do, is there an outlet people can go to find out a little bit more? Colby.edu slash ACITS. Not too exciting right now, but we did um, we did some fit. Uh, we we call them fit fellowships. So it was um, faculty and technology projects. Nice. Um, that's highlighted on that website. Excellent. Well, Tim, I think I speak for everyone listening, uh, especially those that are really interested in what Sanfordia Callus was. Thank you for all the effort you did uh, to put in to help us understand this extinct species better. But also, thank you for taking the time today for sitting down and talking with us. I mean, this is incredible to hear what went into this. This is a, a realm of science I know nothing about. So I really appreciate you shining light onto the creative process that is reconstructing an extinct organism. Thank you so much. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. This was just a really nice conversation. I appreciate it. Great. Well, in the meantime, keep it up. And I, you know, I, I hope the wind blows you in more creative paleobotanical <laughs> outlets. <laughs> thanks so much. All right. Cheers. Bye. All right. How cool is that? I know nothing about Blender, but I'm so happy it exists because it has created such an interesting reconstruction of a tree that no longer exists and really has no relation to anything we know today. I thank Tim for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us, and as always, go check the show notes for more information about this conversation. While you're over there, look at all the great ways you can support In Defense of Plants because conversations like this can't happen without your support. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have a ton of customizable merch available. You can also become a patron over at patreon.com slash plants and get a lot of great kickbacks for supporting the show, like access to bonus episodes that you can't hear anywhere else. You can also pick up a copy of my book and stickers. All of those are great ways to help keep this show up and running, and thank you to everyone that supported it thus far. I couldn't be doing it without you. But that is it for this week. I thank you all for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.